Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. I may have to preach in a lower octave, so if I preach in a deeper voice, it's a little bit easier, but I can't preach in one octave. So, Luke chapter 11. When I was growing up, my parents used to call me a worry wart. Now, a worry wart is kind of an old-fashioned word. Maybe you were never called a worry wart. Maybe you were called a doomsayer. Or maybe you were called a pessimist or a fuss budget or the nervous type. I don't want you to raise your hands, but how many of you here, no, don't raise your hands. How, how many of you here are worry warts? You, you worry about things you're really not supposed to worry about. You're over-consumed with things happening, and you dwell upon problems. You get very anxious. You see, growing up on family trips, I was the kid <clears throat> that always asked my parents, when are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? And my dad would always say, well, it's just around the next corner. And then like 20 minutes would pass, and I'd get really upset. When are we going to get there? That's just around the next corner. Well, this game would go on and on and on until finally like 10 hours later we'd finally get there. But I was really, really anxious. I was your typical backseat driver as a kid. And even in high school, I was very anxious about grades. You see, I was highly competitive, and I really wanted to become valedictorian of my class. And so I was really, really nervous about my grades, and almost every week I'd go to the registrar's office to find out what my ranking was, like what was my number in, in the class. And it always was 11. I could never break the top 10, and the reason why is because I'm not very good at math. And so that was one of the issues. And so I was a tightly wound kid. I was a tightly wound teenager, and my wife can tell you I'm a tightly wound adult. <laughs> if we're honest, we tend to get anxious at times, nervous, a worrywart. Maybe you are here today and you're stressing out about finances. Maybe you're wondering if your paycheck is going to stretch to be able to pay your bills or get food on the table. Some of us struggle with finances. For others, you may be stressed out at a situation at work. There's a situation at work that seems insurmountable. It seems like it's a problem you can't overcome, and you're just anxious about your work. Perhaps you lose sleep at night. You toss and you turn and you lay there thinking of millions of different thoughts racing through your head about a problem at work. Students... This is a new school year that just started. Maybe some of you are nervous about this new school year. New teachers, it's, it's life in post-COVID. What's going to happen this year? There's some anxiety about the school year, and even if you're a teacher as well. Perhaps you're nervous about a health issue. Maybe you're waiting the results of a test, and you're not sure if you're going to have surgery, or maybe even get back the big C word, cancer. There are a million things on a personal level that make us anxious, just on a personal level. 
Now think about the things going on in the world. You've got the situation going on in Afghanistan. You have raising gas prices. You have inflation. You have rising crime. You, you look around our nation, and it just seems like there's this cloud of anxiety and hopelessness hovering over our nation. And if we're not careful, we can begin to get consumed with anxiety and fear, and we can actually begin to blame God. Think it's God's fault. Why isn't God answering my prayers the way he should in the timing I should? Why am I not trusting in a good and sovereign God? We begin to look inward. We begin to try to fix the problems ourselves as opposed to trusting in our good and gracious Heavenly Father. Last week, we began our study in Luke chapter 11. We jumped into chapter 11 with the Lord's Prayer. Now, we looked at a few things last week. We saw that it's a good model, a good model of how to pray as well as what to pray. And it's surprisingly short. And so it's a short prayer it's a model, it's a template, not to be re recited mechanically, that gives us things that we should be praying for and how we should be praying. And we looked at the first two requests last week. We looked at the first request, hallowed be your name. And this was a passionate desire for God's name, God's glory, God's majesty to be revealed not only in our own personal lives, but to, to go across the entire globe. Lord, Father, hallowed be your name. And then we looked at the second request, your kingdom come. This was a, a missionary desire. It's a desire for God's kingdom to come and, and to release prisoners that are in sin so that his name would be hallowed and that his kingdom would come. And so now the prayer shifts to more of a focus on the daily things that we deal with in our Christian life. Now remember I said there's a certain order to how you pray. We start with worshiping God, glorifying God, praying for God's agenda, God's kingdom, God's um, majesty, and then it moves into asking him for things. Notice the prayer doesn't start with asking for things. It starts with the glory and name and kingdom of God. So let's read together Luke chapter 11, verses one through four. <clears throat> Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, here's request number one, Father, hallowed be your name. Request number two, your kingdom come. Request number three, which we're going to look at today, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, before we explore this, I just want to talk about grace. Grace for a moment. Because the Bible defines grace in a couple of different ways. Now, there's saving grace, how we were saved. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for by grace you've been saved 
through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, this is the grace we often think about. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We're not saved by anything we do. We're saved by God's sovereign grace in our lives. But yet, how often do we forget that living the actual Christian life is also of grace? You were saved by grace, and you live the Christian life by grace. But oftentimes, we tend to think we're saved by grace, and then God leaves it up to us to kind of figure things out, and we, we, we tend to want to live in our own flesh. We want to live in our own power and our own resources. Paul warned the Galatians, in Galatians 3, 1 through 3, he says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He's basically saying you guys started with the grace that comes through the power of the Spirit. That's how you were initially saved, but now you're trying to live the Christian life in the flesh. You're saved by grace. You live the Christian life by grace, not in your own power. Proverbs 28, 26, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. That should be a bumper sticker. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. We are so easily turning in upon ourselves to try to find the answers we get curved in upon ourselves. We get so enwrapped with ourselves that we tend to want to trust in ourselves, trust in our resources, trust in what we can do, that we begin to just turn inward instead of turning outward and looking at Jesus. Jeremiah says this, Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Don't boast in the fact that you have riches. Don't boast in your resources. Don't boast in your intelligence. Don't boast in what you can produce. Boast in the fact that you know the Lord and he is the one who saved you by grace and he gives you the power to live the Christian life by grace. And so why do I bring up grace? Like it seems like as Christians we should remember that we're saved by grace because we so easily forget when it comes to praying for daily bread. So here is the third petition. Give us each day our daily bread. So here's what it means. Father, please help me to be dependent. Dependent. Now it's interesting. The verb tense switches here in verse 3. Give us each day our daily bread. That word gives in the present tense, which really means, Lord, keep on continually giving this. I need... Daily, I, I need it constantly, this daily bread. Now, it's not just literally bread. It is our physical needs, but this request really focuses on anything that we need, not selfishly want, 
but what we need on a daily basis. Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes an interesting statement. In Matthew 6, 8, Jesus says, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. God knows what you need before you ask him, which brings up a very interesting question about prayer. Okay, then why pray? If God already knows what you need before you ask, are you telling God something he doesn't already know when you're, you're saying, God, I need this, and God's up in heaven saying, I, I didn't really know that. But thanks for giving me that newsflash. I appreciate the information. No, God knows what you need before you ask. So he's not surprised by your prayers. You don't catch him off guard. Then why do you pray? If he knows what you need, why even pray? It seems like God would just automatically give you what you need. Why pray? Here's the answer. Prayer shows our utter dependence upon a gracious and sovereign God. Yes, he knows what we need before we ask. But in prayer, we're coming to him in dependence. We're coming to him in faith, and we're, we're utterly depending upon him. We're saying that nothing I have, nothing I will receive, will ever happen apart from your hand, gracious and sovereign God. Give us this day our daily bread, my daily needs. Now, there's two good Old Testament passages that teach how God gave daily bread, daily needs. And so the first I want to look at real quick is back in Exodus. Exodus chapter 14. I mean, sorry, Exodus chapter 16, verses 4 through 6. This is when the Israelites were in the wilderness and God gave them manna. Now, does anybody know what the Hebrew word for manna is? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Okay. Manna means what is it? The stuff comes down from heaven and the Israelites say, what is it? Well, it's like a bread-like substance. That's what manna means. What is it? So Exodus 16. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. God's going to provide for them every day. And on the last day of the week, he's going to provide twice as much as they need so they can observe the Sabbath. And so why does Moses and Aaron tell the Israelites in verse 6, the reason God's doing this is so you'll know it's the Lord. That's a weird thing to say. If you saw manna come down from heaven and you'd just been through the Red Sea, wouldn't you automatically just know this was God that was doing it? Why does Moses and Aaron say, the reason God's doing this is so you'll know it's the Lord? Here's the point we very easily and quickly forget God's grace and God's goodness. We begin to curve in upon ourselves and we begin to think about ourselves and think about what we can do and what we can accomplish instead of focusing on how God provides 
daily, a sufficient supply of daily bread, fresh grace day by day, so that you'll know it's the Lord that's providing for you. The other place that we find God providing daily bread is probably in the most famous psalm of all time, the 23rd Psalm. How does the 23rd Psalm start? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not, what? Want. Lack. And the whole rest of the psalm talks about how God is our shepherd, provides for our needs. You know, a shepherd would stay with the sheep 24-7, protect the sheep, care for the sheep, make sure the sheep were fed. And so Psalm 23 is this beautiful psalm about how God, literally Jesus, as the good shepherd, takes care of his sheep. Jesus said in John 10, 10 through 11, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. God provides for us daily by his grace what we need. He knows what we need before we ask. And so here's the question. Why is it so hard at times to pray and ask God for daily bread? Let me give you three hindrances or three problems or three issues that may prevent us from asking for daily bread. Here's the first. We are often not content to trust in the sovereignty of God. All right. We are a church that believes heavily in the sovereignty of God. We may know it up here, but sometimes that takes a long time to travel down here. We say we believe in the sovereignty of God, but do we really trust in the sovereignty of God to take care of our needs? You go back and read the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 24 through 25. It's a repeated theme throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. There's nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Your ability to have food, your ability to have a job, comes from the hand of God, sovereignly providing for you. But yet we tend to forget that. We, we lack contentment in the sovereignty of God. Let me ask you to turn back to Matthew for just a moment. Turn back in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And this is the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching on prayer over there as well. And then um, if there's children in here that want to count, adults you can count too. I want you to count how many times the word anxious shows up in this passage of scripture. And I'll emphasize it so that you keep count, okay? Let's play a little game here. All right, Matthew chapter six, starting at verse 25. I'm sorry, yeah. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, 
what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of those. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, suffice for the day of its own trouble. Okay, how many did you count? Six, one, two, three, four, five, six. I thought we'd round it up to seven and make it a perfect number, but there's six. How many times does Jesus use the word anxious? Why does Jesus repeat that? Don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. What's our temptation? To be anxious. Because we don't trust in the sovereignty of our good God. And Jesus here says, God's going to take care of you. God's going to provide for you. If he, can, if he can take care of the lilies of the field, if he can take care of birds, he can take care of your daily needs. Don't be anxious. Philippians 4, 6-7. Do not be anxious about anything. Sounds like Paul learned from Jesus. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, let me ask you a trivia question. What is the opposite of anxiety? Peace and contentment. Contentment. Listen to later on what Paul says in that same passage. Philippians 4, 11 through 12. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I've learned to be content. Not, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hungry, hunger, abundance, and need. Paul said, I learned contentment. Contentment is not something you can go buy off the shelf at Walmart across the street and put in your back pocket. Contentment is something you've got to learn. And how do you learn contentment? Through experience, through trusting in the Lord, through waiting, through asking him to alleviate your anxiety, through that trust. So let me just ask you a question this morning. Are you content? Are you content with your life? Are you content with your job? Content with your spouse? Content with your life situation? Are you content? In other words, what I'm really asking you is this. Are you trusting in the sovereignty of God to take care of you? Or are you anxious? Do you lack contentment? So the first hindrance to praying for daily bread is that we often lack contentment. We're anxious, and we don't trust in the sovereignty of God. What's the second hindrance of why we may have a problem praying this prayer? Here's the second 
we often covet what others have and demand God meet our selfish expectations. We often covet what others have and we demand God meet our selfish expectations. What's the 10th commandment? Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant, his female servant, or his ox or his donkey or anything that's your neighbor's. Now, coveting leads to anxiety because you don't have what somebody else has, and then you begin to blame God for not giving you what you selfishly want. I want what they have, God, and you're not giving it to me, and so I'm anxious, I'm content, I'm coveting. Luke 12, 15. He said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Did you realize that coveting can sometimes hinder our prayer life? When you covet, you're anxious. When you covet, you blame God. When you covet, you tend to, re- to look at what other people have as opposed to what God has taken care of in your life. Psalm 73, 2-3, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, I became envious of them. So you can become coveting of what somebody else has, and you don't have it, and then you begin to demand of God to give it to you. You blame God for not giving it to you. As opposed to being content with God taking care of your daily needs, you say to yourself, I've got to have what they have. And if I don't get it now, I'm going to get mad at God. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure they don't have it and I get it at all costs. If it means that I have to do some crazy things, some sinful things, some things I thought I'd never do, I'm going to get what I want now. And if I don't get what I want now, I'm going to blame God for not giving it to me. Again, this root of coveting, this root of anxiety all goes back to a lack of trust in the sovereignty of God, in the goodness of God, that he will provide for your needs. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God will supply every need, not every want, every need need so we can become anxious and not trust in the sovereignty of God number two we can covet and then blame God but there's a third reason a third hindrance we are often self-confident and think we can handle life's problems on our own now we wouldn't admit that out loud I can handle it. I can do it. I'm self-confident. I don't really want to bother God with this. I got it. Now, the Lord gave a warning to Israel about their attitude back in Deuteronomy about what would happen when they entered the promised land. Listen to what God warns them about when they were to enter the promised land. Deuteronomy 8, 17 through 18. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. 
We need to be very co- careful that we don't become cocky thinking that we're all that, that we can, we can accomplish things. Everything that you've accomplished, everything that you have, everything that you own, everything that you've built, everything that you've thought up, everything that you have produced is because God has graciously done that for you. It comes from his hand. It comes from his sovereign grace. It comes from him. It's from the hand of the Lord. John the Baptist said in John 3, 27, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You see, here's the major problem we have in America when it comes to praying for our daily bread. We're pretty affluent. We're pretty comfortable. I've gone to South Asia many times, and some of you have gone here as well, and you see women carry pots on their heads and walk a mile to get dirty water and bring it back to their family, and they do that four or five times a day. You can go to Walmart and get, what, 10 different flavored waters? And then you're like paralyzed. Which one am I going to choose? A whole, aisle, a whole aisle of pop, soft drinks. You know, we don't, we don't really have major needs the way other people in the world do. We're very self-sufficient. We're very comfortable. In a way, we're kind of coddled. And maybe when tragedy strikes or something bad happens to us, we're, we're moved to pray. But how often do we pray on a daily basis just for God's sustaining grace? To pray for our daily needs reason we don't often pray is because we don't really think we need it. We trust in our own ability. When things go well, we don't tend to pray because things are going well and we tend to trust in ourselves. Things go bad, uh-oh, I better start praying. Now there's great encouragement and comfort that God knows what you need before you ask. Because sometimes you don't even know what you need. God knows what you need. God knows what you need. Not what you necessarily want, but he knows what you need. And God will provide for that. Listen to what Jesus says about how God provides for our needs. In Matthew 10, 29-31, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Okay, think about the sovereignty of God here. At all places, at all times on the planet, God alone knows when a bird falls out of a tree and dies. And he knows the exact minuscule number of hairs that are on your head at every moment because you shed hair all the time too. Now some of you, it's easier for God than others count the hairs on your head but think about that if God is so intimately knowledgeable of the birds birds are kind of dumb animals aren't they I mean who cares about a bird some of you are bird people my wife likes she was complaining because they're taking out when they're taking out the bird thing at the zoo they're taking the bird thing out at the zoo and that that was very bothersome I could care less because I don't really care about the birds every time I go to the zoo I'm like I don't you go to the bird thing I don't like birds they're kind of weird animals. 
But the point is, if God is intimately connected with when a bird dies, how much more is he intimately connected with you, who's a human being, knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows desperately what you need. He knows what you are struggling with before you even ask him. So then why ask him? The reason you ask him is not to give God information. It's to show your dependence upon God. It's to trust in his sovereign grace. We're to come to our Father with a childlike faith, a faith that is totally dependent upon him. James 1.17 says this, every good gift, it's going to be all right, buddy. It'll be all right, Bennett. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good and perfect gift comes down from our Father. He gives us gifts. Now, notice the prayer. Back to Luke. Give us each day our daily bread. Remember last week I talked about that? This is not a selfish me, my prayer. It's our Father, give us this day our daily bread. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying my Father or my bread or my needs, but there's this, this aspect to the prayer that we're praying for each other, our needs, our daily bread. It's not just a me-focused prayer. It's I'm praying, yeah, for my daily bread, but I'm praying for my brothers and sisters in Christ that our needs would be met as a family. But have you ever thought about why pray for daily bread? Think about it this way. If God were to give you all of his blessings in one lump sum, how would you treat God? You'd take the blessings and you'd run, right? You'd go along your merry way and you'd probably never, ever think about God. If he gave you, if he gave you all the blessings in one day, in one lump sum, you would probably squander it. Now, a lot of people put their winnings into like Powerball, lottery, things like that. Millions of dollars. Back in 2011, three major universities conducted a study on the winnings and how people handle the money. Did it provide permanent financial improvement for these people that won the Powerball? And so when they did the study, they wanted to find out how many people actually filed bankruptcy after winning millions of dollars. So they examined 35,000 winners in the Florida lottery over a nine-year span. Here's what they found. Seven in 10 winners squandered their earnings and filed bankruptcy only after a few years. 70% of those that got it all squandered it. Now, they did a deeper study. The big issue they found was how they received their money. Those that took it as a lump sum versus those who took it as installments. Now, if you take it as a lump sum, it's going to be taxed higher versus the, the quarterly or whatever installments. Those that took it as a lump sum, they found, were the ones that were more prone to squander their money. So if God were to answer all of your prayers with a lump sum, would you really trust him? Or would you take the blessing and run? That's why it's daily. I need... I need grace today. 
I need provision today. And God says, today has enough worries of its own. Pray for today, and then we'll get to tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to have enough worries on its own. Pray for daily bread. And then, and then the next day, and then the next day. It's, it's daily living by God's grace. And God will graciously sustain you to the end and meet your needs. Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Cast your burden on the Lord. Throw your problems on the Lord. He can handle it. And that scripture says he'll sustain you. He'll carry you. He'll take care of you. He'll provide for you. Sounds very similar to what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Cast your burdens on the Lord. That's what prayer is. Prayer is casting your burdens on the Lord. Casting your cares on the Lord. Telling the Lord what you need. And then he'll sustain you. 1 Corinthians 1, 8-9. He will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God's going to sustain you to the end because God gives fresh supplies of grace every day. Listen to what Paul said. 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10. This is Jesus speaking to Paul. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, and I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. My grace is sufficient for you in your weakness. God's grace is sufficient. When you ask for daily bread, you're relying upon God's grace, his sufficient grace, his amazing grace. He may not answer your prayer in the way that you want it answered, but he'll give you the grace to get through it. He'll give you what you need. Maybe not what you want, but what you need. And he'll give you the grace to get through it. Some of you may have heard of George Mueller. George Mueller, German-born, but was a pastor in Bristol, England, during the same time as Charles Spurgeon, in the mid to late 1800s, actually he preached in Spurgeon's church on a few occasions. But what was most famous in George Mueller's life was the building of orphanages. His building of orphanages. He built five large orphan houses in England that cared for over 10,000 orphans in his lifetime. And when he started in 1834, there were only a handful of buildings in England that could only hold up to maybe 3,600 orphans. He built five and cared for 10,000. And he was a great man of prayer. And here's what happened. He really never once went out there and asked for money. But every day, sometimes like late at night, they wouldn't have enough food for the orphans. And then they'd get a knock on the door, maybe 11 o'clock at night, and then there'd be like enough food for the next day. And that would happen a lot. It's like every day. And he wrote this in his, in his journal in 1854. He says, never since the work has been in existence 
has there been a mealtime come, but the orphans have had good nourishing food in sufficient quantity, and never have they needed clothes. Never since the orphan work has been in existence have I asked one single human being for any help in this work, and yet unasked for, simply in answers to my prayers from so many parts of the world, the donations have come in, and they, that very frequently at the time of the greatest need. It's estimated that he handled over $8 million in running the orphanages, but upon his deathbed, he only had $800 to his name. This is an amazing story of God's grace in George Mueller. And many people look at George Mueller. He was a man of faith. He had the spiritual gift of faith. If you read his, his writings, he'll say, I, I didn't have a spiritual gift of faith. Here, he was a man who trusted in the absolute sovereignty of God. If you read his writings, he would say, I just trusted in the Lord. I had faith in a sovereign God to meet those daily needs. He said this, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There's no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. And here's the point. Faith begins where man's power ends. Faith begins where man's power ends. Oh, how much we trust in our own power, don't we? I can do it. I can do it. I'm anxious. I'm coveting. I'm nervous. I'm a worry wart. It's all in your power. It's all in your strength. Faith begins where man's power ends. Psalm 84, 11 through 12. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. No good thing does God withhold from his children. He's a good God. He's a faithful God. He's a sovereign God. He knows what you need before you ask. Will we not be anxious? Would we not be coveting? Would we not be so self-reliant? But will we get on our knees and model what Jesus tells us? Father, give us this day our daily bread. Help us to be totally, utterly, absolutely dependent upon your sovereign grace alone. I need grace in my salvation I need grace every second of my life, and every good thing comes from you. Father, I need you daily, moment by moment. Would you please provide for my needs? And our Heavenly Father is not stingy, but He's good, and He's gracious, and He's faithful. So, I'm going to ask us to pray. So would you please bow your heads, and I want you to practice this prayer. Would you spend just a few moments in silence, evaluating your heart? Is there any anxiety in your heart? Is there any coveting in your heart? 
Is there any self-reliance in your heart? Would you confess that to the Father? And then if you have a major need that you're dealing with as a family or major need that, that's, that, that's, that's just consuming your thoughts and minds, take the opportunity to go to your Heavenly Father and just pour out your heart to Him about that need. He knows what you need before you ask Him, so you're not giving information. You're just showing your utter dependence upon Him. So let's spend a few moments in silent prayer, and I'm just gonna give you opportunity just to cry out to the Lord and ask Him for your daily bread, ask Him for daily grace. Let's spend some time in prayer this morning. Father, there may be many in this room that are anxious. They lack contentment. Maybe there are some that are coveting those around them. Maybe there's some that are so self-reliant that they think they can do it in their own power. Lord, whatever it is that we've struggled with, would you shatter that pride, shatter that anxiety, and help us to absolutely trust in you, in your goodness, and your sovereignty. Lord, there may be some in this room that are struggling with some financial issues. As a family, as an individual, they're, they're in financial trouble. Lord, I do pray that you would provide for their needs in whatever way that would look like, Lord. Give them hope. Lord, there may be some in here that are facing issues at work, at the job, bringing a lot of anxiety and stress. Lord, would you meet that daily need? Lord, maybe there's some that are struggling with school. They're a teacher, an administrator, or a student, and homeschool parent, homeschool child, wh whatever it is, Lord, maybe there's some stress about schooling. Would you meet those daily needs? Lord, we know there are many in our congregation that have health needs. There's some fear and some anxiety over that. Would you meet the health needs as well? Lord, we don't ask to force your hand. We don't ask to demand of you. Lord, we're asking independence upon you because if, Lord, if anything's gonna happen, it has to come from your hand alone, not from us, but from your hand and your grace. So, Lord, help us always to keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For the joy that set before you endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father as our one mediator, interceding on our behalf. Thank you that you're a good and gracious Savior. Would you give us this day our daily bread? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.